many of you know me. I'm the worship pastor, pastor of music here at Sailorville Church. And uh, if it makes you all feel comfortable, I'll put a guitar on for the duration of the uh, sermon. No, but uh, it's good to be here with you to open God's Word. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and open to Psalm 103. Uh, I was just sitting in the back um, with the, the tech people, and I just uh, thought, you know what? I need to praise them for a second, all the tech people back there making stuff go week in and week out. Thank you guys so much for doing what you do. Let's give them a hand if you guys don't mind. They do such a great job uh, getting the Word of God out uh, to us here in the room and and to uh, everyone out there online as well. And how about that recap video, huh? Amazing, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. it reminds me that though, uh, you know, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, the Apostle Paul is in chains and he says, but the word of God is not chained. <laughs> the word of God is not chained. Neither is it locked down or masked or anything else. It can still accomplish its work even during a pandemic. So thank you, Lord, for what you've done. I'd like to introduce you today to the greatest sermon you're ever going to hear. No, that's not this sermon. <laughs> Not by a long shot. It's going to be the most impactful sermon to you, though. It's going to affect your walk with God in a huge way. It's going to heal relationships, has the ability to heal hurt relationships, can bind up old wounds, can even launch you into areas of ministry you never thought were possible for yourself. This sermon is something you might think you've already heard in your life. You might think you've heard the greatest sermon ever already. You might think it was from Pastor Pat or, or Pastor Kurt, Pastor Jason, John Nemers, Chuck DeClean, here on this spot. This is like the, uh, I'm going to have a little bit of pause preaching today because this area right here is sort of like that Grand old Opry type of circle, if you're familiar with that, right? Hank Williams stood here, you know, Pastor Pat stood here, um, and I'm delivering the Word of God from that same spot. They're giants in my mind. You may think these sermons, this sermon was one that was thundered without a PA system across a huge area of ground by George Whitfield, or you may think it was thundered from a pulpit by Jonathan Edwards, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God, and, and people were clinging to the posts of the church for fear of judgment at hearing this sermon. You may think it's John MacArthur or John Piper or any of the other Johns, <laughs> or Charles Wesley or Isaac Watts and their musical poetry. You might think the greatest sermon came from them, but it doesn't. All of these men have delivered great messages and sermons, to be sure, but they're not the greatest. They can't be. Would you like to know what the greatest is? Thank you, yes. I can tell you the preacher. I can tell you the sermon title. I can even make a pretty good guess at where the venue is that you will hear the sermon. Ready? The preacher is you. Sermon title, Gospel. And my guess is for where you will hear it, the bathroom mirror, your bed, your desk at work, your doctor's office, maybe on the treadmill at the gym, lying at the post office, checking out your groceries, maybe in your math class, all places you might possibly hear this sermon. Indeed, I hope you will hear this sermon in all these places. Our own dear Pastor Pat has well said that the preacher you listen to the most is you. He's 100% correct. We talk to ourselves constantly. We tell ourselves what we think we need to hear to bring ourselves comfort 
and peace in the midst of all of life's challenges and circumstances. Roller coasters of emotions and problems. If 2020 has taught us anything, it's how fast things can change. Who would have thought just a year ago at this time that we'd be required to do something as abnormal as wearing something that's historically been reserved as a high fashion look when knocking over a bank <laughs> in order to buy Cheerios at Hy-Vee or to make the perilous trek from the front door of Applebee's to your booth. And yet here we are. New challenges are thrown at us every day, some far more serious than the dirty look you might get from having your nose exposed in public. We need to hear a good sermon constantly, one that will bring us back to reality, renew our hope, and remind us of the peace that we own if we are in Christ. Simply put, we need the gospel. And I'm not just talking about to those who are without Christ, who don't know Jesus as their Savior. You need the gospel too. And Christian, you need the gospel every day. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. There's nothing deeper than the gospel. We need the full scope. We need to preach to ourselves the full scope of the redemptive work of Christ toward his beloved called out ones. We need to bask in God's incalculable gifts to those that are in Christ, his children. Many of you have known about my occasional life struggle with uh, depression and anxiety. I've spoken pretty freely about it um, and uh, have, have struggled with it this past year, uh, just as many of you have and many around the world have with the, the government's response to, um, to the pandemic with you know, erasing emotion from the world or locking people down uh, and isolating them. And it's, it's become very, very widespread. But I'm happy to report that I'm doing well now, uh, doing pretty well. Still have ups and downs sometimes, as we all do. Uh, but I do feel a bit like Peter, who's been uh, in prison, and the doors have been flung open by the prayers of the saints. And I can get back and be with you. So thank you for not slamming the door in my face like that story, if you're familiar with that. Um, but it's a no small, uh, thanks in no small part to mentors and friends um, Pastor Kurt and, and my, my wife, certainly, and Pastor Pat and Pastor Dave Heisterkamp and others, and the prayers of you all. So I thank you for that. But one of the other lifelines that has been to me and can be to you in the struggles that you face in your life, maybe that you're walking through right now, is Psalm 103. I call it my lifeline psalm, and it is, quite literally. So before we begin, let's, before we begin, let's, uh, let's pray together, would you? Lord, impress your truth deep on our hearts. May it change us. Please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. The psalmist here, King David, the songwriter, begins his song with the admonition I'm going to give you first off today, and that is this. Preach the truth to yourself. You must preach the truth to yourself. Contrary to what our wives must think about us as husbands at times, there is no vacuum in the human mind. The parts of the soul we neglect to fill with truth will inevitably be become filled with error. David says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. The recipient of his song here is his own soul. We need to cultivate the practice in our life of singing that song, preaching that sermon to our own soul. And we're going to get into the text of the sermon. 
Dave says, David says to himself in verse 1 to, to bless the Lord. To bless means to consecrate and to sanctify as holy. Sanctify, sanctify means to, to set apart. He's literally saying to himself, self, David, God is completely set apart and perfect. He's above you so far, completely otherly, unimaginably above all creation, completely holy, doesn't change. He's preaching to himself the greatness, the otherliness, the exalted God. When we remind ourselves that God is so far above us, that he is completely otherly and unimaginably holy, and then we at the same time think that this God loves me enough to send his son to die for me, it magnifies God's love. It puts a magnifying glass on his love for me. I'm not worthy, but he loves me anyway. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. He is set apart. Preach it to yourself. Have you made these declarations to your own soul? That God is otherly? That he is glorious? He's so far above you? In the absence of declaring God's word to your soul day in and day out, the words of the enemy will creep in. You can bank on that. And the words of the enemy are lies. Where there should be promises growing green in the Christian soul, the tangled thorns of doubt will choke and sprout in their place. Your soul is much like a garden and responds to the measure of gospel cultivation you grind down into the soul or to the measure of neglect. So how's your gardening going today? David continues, All that is within me, bless his holy name. With every power I can muster, with every faculty I am gifted with, mental, physical, spiritual, I must direct it all like a laser to proclaiming the holiness of God to God and to my own soul. This quote that you're going to see up on the screen, this is a picture of a sign that actually hangs backstage here at Sailorville. It's to remind uh, myself, the other musicians, and whoever might come across it, um, what worship is. When it says this, to worship God is to humble everything about ourselves and exalt everything about him. That is what it means to bless the Lord with all that is within me, humbling myself and directing all my faculties, all my worship, all that I am towards the worship and praise of the Lord. I am unworthy, but Lord, you are worthy. This is the prayer of the believer. I am unworthy of praise, you are worthy of praise. I am sinful, you are holy. I am created, you are uncreated, and over all. How do I know the degree to which all that is within me is blessing the name of the Lord? I think a very telltale way is to take stock of how much all around me, on the outside of me, is blessing the Lord. What do my actions say? You see, what, what is inside always comes out. So I want you to make this your prayer. My prayer is that you make this your prayer. Lord, let my inmost being be a blessing to you so that my outmost actions can do the same. Pray that and preach it to yourself. The admonition David gives his own soul and that you should preach to your own soul is also this. 
Don't forget. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, in verse 2. Now, why would David have to remind his own soul not to forget? Why would we have to remind our own souls not to forget? I think the obvious answer to that question is one of the defining characteristics of human beings is that we are forgetful creatures. We forget things and we, are, we doom ourselves to repeat the same mistakes that we made. It is said of politicians in our American Congress that it takes them six weeks to make instant coffee. While that is not far off from the truth, it is very true that many continue to be able to remain in that profession due to the fact that people tend to forget the past rather quickly. The same can be said of our scientific expert occupation, as we have found out as well. We are forgetful people and must continually keep the truth in front of us. This is why in Psalm 119, it says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I always put the truth of God before me, never forgetting his benefits towards me so I can walk through the perilous paths of this life, the challenges it can throw at us, putting the gospel ever before us. So for you, have you rehearsed God's benefits to yourself? What have you put on repeat in your own personal internal playlist? What are the benefits in Christ that you need to remember to pull you out of the valleys that you get into, as I have, or to keep you from going down in the valley in the first place? Let's look in verse 3. Don't forget what God has done for you. This is the overall admonition. Don't forget what God's done. Let's list them out. Verse 3, who forgives all your iniquity. This is the foundational benefit that David preaches to his own soul. And I suspect it should be the same for our souls. We are, as Paul in Romans chapter 8 says, free from the law of sin and death. That means sin and death no longer has mastery over us. It can no longer tell us what to do. We are free in Christ. We are, as the letter Colossians in chapter 3 says, Hidden with Christ in God. Man, I've leaned on that scripture this year. I'm hidden with Christ in God. Know and remember that even though the wages of sin is death, that is eternal separation from God, when the sin has been forgiven and the debt has been paid by Christ on the cross, we no longer owe the debt. It has been perfectly paid by Christ on the cross. We never forget it. If God were to keep a record of wrongs, of our sins, of even one, even one way that we've rebelled against his holy law, in the vernacular of my high school days, we used to say a lot, you're toast. Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4 says this. pastor preached this just a couple weeks ago at the end of his message. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. He has forgiven all your iniquities if you are in Christ. All your sins are washed away completely. Preach it to yourself. It's your benefit in Christ. You're free. Verse 3. Who heals all your diseases. Scripture says God is the great physician, healer. In forgiving our sins, he has healed us in Christ, spiritually, of the greatest disease of all time, that is the separating disease of sin. If you have put your trust, your hope, all on Jesus for your healing, 
you are healed. If you have not, your sickness remains. And it is a sickness unto death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God outside of Christ. But what about physical death? Many of you have known physical disease in your life. Many of you know it right now. The discomfort, the pain, uncertainty, and fear, they're very real in the cracked world that we live in. David knew it. After his sin with Bathsheba, God granted him forgiveness immediately when he repented. But his son still died, even though he fasted and prayed for his son's healing. He knew disease. I've spoken at length here in this church about our time with our son Isaiah, um, who's now enormous. Um, His battle with cancer when he was very, very young. And I praise God and I am very thankful that God healed him of his disease. He's been out of that for uh, over 11 years now, uh, anything very serious. And I praise God that he healed him that way. And now he's, you know, my, my days of pinning him in living room wrestling or beating him one-on-one in basketball are soon coming to an end. Um, and I'm thankful God healed him that way. But I'm, I'm no less thankful that God healed my grandmother of her cancer in a different way. I'm no less thankful that God healed my wife's grandmother of dementia in a different way. God took them home. They were believers in Christ, and God completely healed their disease by bringing them to himself. So take heart, believer. Your spiritual terminal disease has been healed permanently, and your physical diseases will all be healed by the great physician one day. Every last one. It's your benefit in Christ. Preach it to yourself. Verse 4, who redeems your life from the pit. The term the pit literally means a trap, a grave, or a place of corruption and destruction. If you're in Christ, you are redeemed out of that pit of corruption and destruction. You are bought out of it. When you stood unforgiven, a slave to sin, a spiritually walking dead person, you were quite literally just that, trapped in a grave and destined for eternal destruction. But God redeemed you. He literally bought you, and he paid with his own sinless blood. The word redemption always implies that there is a cost to be paid. One of the greatest pictures of this for me um, is a story we listened to on on Van Rides with my family, a a pretty good movie, amazing book, and that's uh, C.S. Lewis's classic work, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you're familiar with it. In it, the boy... Edmund has betrayed his brother and sisters and has gone into the service of Jardis, the white witch in the story, the enemy. In their eventual meeting, the witch reminds the lion Aslan, in this story, the Christ character, that by the laws of their world Narnia, traitors belong to her and are trapped and destined to die. Edmund is trapped, guilty, and completely without hope by his own choice. But in a beautiful Christ picture, Aslan voluntarily offers himself to be killed in the place of Edmund so that Edmund may go free. If you haven't read it, seen the movie, you really should. 
the subsequent death and, and resurrection of Aslan, where he makes death work in reverse, according to Lewis, is a thrilling piece of literary history. But this is the redemption that Christ has accomplished for us. He offered himself in our stead, the perfect lamb of God for the sin-stained rebel, the hopeless one, that he could be the redemption for our treachery and our sin. When you are in the place where life is too much, and I've looked around this room before I walked up here, and I, I, I know there are a few of you in this room right now where life is just too much. I want you to focus on a different amount this morning. Not the amount of your pain, not the amount of your fear, not the amount of your uncertainty, but the amount of the cost that was paid for you by Christ on the cross by the one who so desperately loves you. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment in full for our sins. Your end is not destruction in Christ. Your end is life and peace. Preach it to yourself. Verse 4 who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. When David says here in verse 4 that God crowns our lives with his steadfast love and mercy, he is saying God does to us what we do to our own houses at Christmas time. If you're like our family, we put the music on and we pull down the boxes that have been sleeping for ten and a half months in the attic and we pull all the stuff out and we adorn the house. That's what this means, that Jesus adorns our life. God adorns our life with steadfast, continuing, never-ending stream of love and mercy. Can you imagine what your life would be if the steadfast stream of God's love and mercy was suddenly dammed up? Probably much like any other stream suddenly dried up, barren, lifeless, cracked, but God decorates us with his continual love and his compassion. How has he decorated your life recently? How has he decorated your life not recently? Think on it. Cultivate gratitude in your soul about it and preach it to yourself. Verse 5. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. Uh, about a year ago, we were driving across the Sailorville Dam, and we looked down on the frozen ice down there and saw several eagles walking around down there on the, the ice. They are a fearsome bird, a monstrous bird with a wingspan greater than I am tall. People look at them as a picture of strength, determination, especially here in America. David here reminds himself that God's constant stream of good towards him, this undeserved favor that he gets, is a source of strength, hope, and spiritual vigor to him. A shot in the arms, so to speak, to keep going in the midst of all the struggle. A fountain of youth, proverbially, to his spirit. I remember when I was much younger in my early 20s, I was in college in upstate New York, and I was in a pretty cool band pretty cool band. It was called Gold Top. Go ahead. Let it out. It's fine. We had cool songs. We had cool hair. 
We had cool sunglasses sometimes, cool guitars. We played the amazing youth group circuit in upstate New York and Pennsylvania. Those crowds of 27 were something to, be, to behold, I'm telling you. <laughs> One of the biggest and most exciting youth groups he ever played was led by a guy named Jason Jackson. Awesome, awesome youth group. Jason, I see you, man. The world was out before me. I had a hope that we were going to record my songs and play the biggest arenas. And we were going to tour around the world and I was going to be able to afford the best guitars. Turned out a little differently. I got a better gig. Not as cool as I once was, according to my teenagers. Can't afford the guitars. I have to, most of mine are given to me or I make in my garage. But I'm thankful that I'm standing here where I am right now. That this gig is so much better than any gig I could have imagined because instead of spotlights, for the most part, <laughs> and CDs or, or getting your song on the radio, I see people coming to Christ and baptized. I see eternal impact. Praise the Lord. The feeling of anything is possible in our youth is an intoxicating feeling, but it does not have to be reserved for youth. God says it can be renewed here in Psalm 103. When we remember every good and perfect gift comes from above, the hope, vigor, and fervor for what God is going to do next is grown in our hearts. So how has God satisfied you with good things? How is he fueling your heart with divine anticipation for what he's going to do next in your life and the life of those you love in this church? Remember his gifts. He did great things in a pandemic. He's going to do great things with whatever 2021 brings. We're going to trust him. Preach it to yourself. Verses 6 and 7, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts, to the people of Israel. Maybe nowhere else in Scripture is a better illustration of the human heart than God's dealings with his chosen people, Israel. He delivered them out of bondage. He led them and fed them in the wilderness, all the while enduring and correcting their faithlessness, complaining, and second-guessing his plan. Sound a lot like your heart? Sounds a lot like my heart. But the Lord works righteousness for those who are oppressed, and he makes known his ways to us. He worked justice for the children of Israel, saved them from their oppressors despite their faithlessness. Psalm 145, verse 14 says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. Are you bowed down this morning? Do you feel your life is falling, falling apart? I did, just a few short months ago, it seems. And God delivered me. He can deliver you. Trust in him. Preach his righteousness to yourself. Next, as we go towards the end here, don't forget who God is. We're still counting his benefits toward us. We, forget, we don't forget what he does, and we don't forget who he is, his character. There's an old song that still rings in my head. 
The lyrics say this, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand and you don't see his plan and you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. Verse 8, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. His love abounds to us. It overflows the cup. He's not quick to be angry. His anger is not on a hair trigger, not waiting to smite you for the first thing that you do wrong. But he's slow to anger, and he's merciful. Preach it to yourself. Verse 9, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He's a good father. He doesn't keep his discipline going and going and going so that his children are beat down and unable to go on. He disciplines us for our good and then picks us up and encourages us and hugs us. Verse 10, he does not, he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. I'm going to read that again. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. You ever heard a child say, or have you ever said, that's not fair? Have you ever not gotten something you thought you deserved and said to God, that's not fair? Let's remind ourselves something this morning. You don't want God to be fair to you. I don't want God to be fair to me because what I deserve is nothing good. And that's true of you too. On the cross, the punishment did fit the crime, but the crime did not fit the one punished. All God's wrath for your sin fell on Jesus Christ at the cross. You in truth, are on the receiving end of divine mistreatment. And that's a good thing. Also on the other end of divine mistreatment was Jesus. He took our punishment on himself. A wise man, my own dad, once said to me, one of the keys to happiness is remembering you deserve nothing good. Then all the blessings of the Lord are highlighted in your life. Verses 11 through 12, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Think on that. If you go east, you'll never go west. If you go west, you'll never go east. These immeasurable measurements are what God uses to illustrate here for us his love for us and the way in which he has separated our sin from us, never to meet again. We can't comprehend the depths of God's love. Preach that love to yourself. Verses 13 and 14. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust. Oh, how I've preached that verse to myself this year. The compassion that a father has for his child, one of the things that haunts me in my mind, in my thoughts, in my life, 
is the sight of my son at one year old being sprawled out on a bed with a tube hanging out of his chest where he used to get chemotherapy and we'd have to clean that area so he wouldn't get an infection in it and die. And my job was to use my pinchers here to hold his ankles and his wrists down so that my wife could clean the area so he wouldn't get an infection. And the look of terror on his face was something that cut to my heart and I had compassion on him. But at the same time, I knew that he had to walk through that hardship so he could grow up to be like me so that he would not die. That's what God does with us sometimes. He has compassion on his children. He remembers who we are. Don't forget who I am. Preach this to yourself as well. Don't forget who I am. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone. Time is finite. Your time here on earth is finite. God has given it to you as a gift. Use it for him. Verses 17 through 18. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. If you're in Christ, you are the recipient of mercy that transcends your days here on earth and allows you eternal days with the Lord. Also, don't forget God's sovereignty. Verse 19, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. God is sovereign. He is over everything that's happened in the past year. He's over everything that's coming. Spurgeon said, the sovereignty of God is the pillow upon which the child of God rests his head at night, giving perfect peace. Rest on God's sovereignty, his in controlness, if you will. Don't forget to encourage all those around you to worship. In the following verses, 20 through 22, David says, basically all, to, all creation, I'm blessing the Lord in my soul. You bless the Lord too. It's spilling out to those around him. That's what the gospel should be to us. The gospel should be to a believer what a birthday cake is to a baby. The most important thing in the world, and you get it all over everything. Preach it to yourself. Let it spill out. And finally, don't forget to repeat as needed. And yes, that's always. Put it on repeat. Bob Coughlin again once said this. Don't practice till you get it right. Practice till you can't get it wrong. He was referring to music. We can apply it to our spiritual disciplines of repeating the greatest sermon ever to ourselves. If you're here this morning and you are outside of Christ, you don't have that relationship with Christ that I'm talking about, you don't have that peace, I want to tell you, you can't have it. The gospel is for you. You can't have it. It's held out to you today. If you're outside of Christ, your iniquity is not forgiven right now. Your sin disease is not healed and God's wrath remains on you. But in Romans 5.8, God commended his love toward us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God is not waiting for you to get your act cleaned up to come to him. God is, God is wanting you to come to him now through Jesus Christ. Admit that you're a sinner. And as Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And his promise to you is that you will be saved. You can have that saving knowledge today.
I would love to talk to you about it, and so would our other pastors and staff. I invite you to do that if you need to. Let's close in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for your mercy towards me. I stand here, and we all in this room sit here and stand here, all recipients of your mercy in one form or another. Many of us recipients of your mercy, of eternal life. And God, we are thankful. For those in here that are outside of Christ that don't know the peace of knowing eternal life, knowing your son Jesus, God, I pray you'd save them even today. Let your word penetrate and do its work. And God, receive worship from our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.